Hello and welcome to Four Corners. Tonight, the story of how some of Australia's richest companies got into bed with one of the world's shadiest law firms. A whistleblower has leaked over 11 million documents to journalists. Among them are 4.5 million emails. More than 11 million files were obtained from a Panama-based offshore law firm that's been operating for nearly 40 years. Despite one of the biggest stories of all time being broken this year, all thanks to the globalisation of journalism, if you read the latest reports on the industry, you'd be forgiven for thinking that the craft as we know it, the industry as we love it, is not just on the decline, but it's dying a slow death at the hands of digital democratisation. Yet, where one door closes, another opens. In his widely read article in The Baffler, titled The Rest is Advertising, Jacob Silverman said... In case you haven't heard, journalism is now in perpetual crisis and conditions are increasingly surreal. But for every crisis in every industry, a potential saviour emerges. And in journalism, the latest candidate is sponsored content. As we've been advocating for years now at Newsmodo, the craft of journalism is actually thriving and is being applied across new and exciting mediums. Brands are publishing more meaningful content than ever before and we're seeing an upsurge in engagement between highly talented storytellers and an ever-expanding client base of non-traditional publishers. The division of editorial and branded content, or church and state, within the structures of the world's largest publishers has become a topical issue, as the biggest media brands scramble for solutions to monetize sponsored or native content without compromising the quality and, critically, the integrity of their news reporting. With most electing not to engage their internal editorial teams to write sponsored content they publish, a wellspring of opportunity has come to the surface for freelancers around the world. And for those willing and able to apply their craft of storytelling for brands, consistent, well-paying and challenging opportunities await. So how are publishers balancing the commercialization of storytelling through native content with traditional, unpaid and hard-nosed editorial? And how can brands learn from the hard lessons the media industry has experienced as it's been forced to adapt to the new world order? Well... Get your pens and pads out and start taking shorthand because over the next 20 minutes we're about to dive headlong into the industry's biggest story and unearth the truth behind the future of journalism, publishing and branded content. Are you ready? Let's get inquisitive. Hello listeners, you're locked in to Brand Storytelling, the podcast that challenges the status quo for journalism and pushes the boundaries on branded content. Of course, it's all made possible by Newsmodo, the world's leading brand newsroom. And if you want to hear how you too can leverage a network of 25,000 freelance journalists and storytellers, drop the team a line at newsmodo.com. And as part of Newsmodo's ongoing commitment to support the journalism industry, and in a very special announcement, we've partnered with the Peak Industry body here in Australia, the Walkley Foundation, for their Storyology event kicking off this week here in Sydney. With a lineup featuring BuzzFeed's Heidi Blake, Storyful's David Clinch and Jared Ryle, the man who leads the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, the group behind the Panama Papers project itself. It's an unmissable conference for freelancers and one we have a special deal which we'll reveal for you a little later in the show. Now, our guest 
today is one of the biggest names in publishing and is the Australian GM of Hearst Bauer Media, who, with a production of over 400 media products across print, marketing and digital services, operating in 17 countries right around the world, are one of the biggest media entities on the planet. She oversees the big brand titles such as Harper's Bazaar, Elle and Cosmopolitan. She's also a board member at the Walkley Foundation. Her name is Marina Go, and she's taken the time to join me now. Marina, thanks so much for joining me on Brand Storytelling. How are you going today? I'm well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure having you on. It's such a busy week. Now, you started out as a journalist at News Corp, and tomorrow you're speaking about diversity in journalism at Storyology. What's changed over the journey? Um, well, I think uh, diversity has changed, actually. I think certainly um, there, there are still not enough women um, running media organisations. However, there are many more visibly senior women, and I think that's um, that's clearly uh, a positive change, but um, we've still got some way to go. Mm, mm. So you would say that that's been one of the trends that you've seen emerge over the last couple of decades. Um, What would you say in terms of publishing right now, uh, the biggest trends that you're seeing emerging from the viewpoint that you have at Bauer? Uh, well, I, I guess it's the understanding that um, it's it's about the content rather than the platform, um, and that and what we really need to do is communicate with our audiences via uh, t- t- contextually relevant content, and uh, and really the platforms are a distribution mechanism, and um, and making sure that we uh, create the right content to connect with our audiences across the right platform is is key. Um, certainly, uh, you know, one of the one of the biggest trends, and it's been this way for some time, has been video. Um, and recently, you know, on one of my brands, L, we actually um, uh, we were now engaging with a little software business in the UK to yep. create shoppable videos. So yep. um, it's 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 for us. It's about providing the full service. I mean, as publishers, we just used to um, ignite the passion, I guess, for um, for our consumers wanting to know more about products and then hopefully they'll go off and buy them. Now we're finding that we actually have to be further down the funnel with our consumers and, and almost help hold their hand towards the purchase part because, you know, mm. that's that's part of the role we play in the lives of our um, consumers. And is that a big part of why digital is just going from strength to strength because in traditional print it's very hard to do that handhold across to engagement or indeed some kind of purchase yeah. decision? Yeah, absolutely. And it's the reason why um, you know print and digital need to work very well hand in hand and and we've certainly integrated our brands very well at Bauer but um, it's the reason I mean in fact digital enables um, that in, that extra uh, extra part of the funnel I guess for us with our consumers so I think of digital as a real real positive add-on to where we were with print years ago um, and if mm. we get this right it doesn't have to be a direct competitor it can actually be complementary there are still some publishers I know that think of it as competitive uh, media, but but um, but it's not that way at all. And is a big part of this push about engaging millennials, given the fact that they're across so many different platforms? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the millenni- millennials are really driving um, the way we need to think about um, you know how we engage, where we engage, uh, because they are across everything. I mean, one of the challenges, of course, is that you still have limited resources and and many more uh, platforms with which to create content <laughs> for and engage. And and every single platform has a has a slightly different way of engaging, um, and so you know the video content or you know the story <laughs> that we might create yeah. for Snapchat will invariably be quite different to something that we might do um, for uh, you know Facebook for, for a video for Facebook. So you know I think 
we, we've just had to think very strategically now about our resourcing. Um, and it is, it's, I mean, millennials are constantly challenging us. <laughs> but, yeah. um, but it also means that we're remaining innovative. And, you know, if millennials are in your site, as they are with, um, with our audience, you know, Bauer has a very strong millennial audience, mm. um, then, you know, it does help the innovation across the rest of the business, I think. Yeah. You know, you, you're at the pointy end, end of it. Taking off your Bauer hat and just speaking from an editorial perspective and a, and a journalism perspective, given your strong background, I know you've worked in the industry for three decades. Yes. So you have <laughs> significant experience across this conversation. And now with the commercialization of content, it's really quite poignant. Where do you see the line being drawn between editorial and branded content? Is there now a, a very distinctive line or is it still a grey area, um, not necessarily specific to Bauer, but just in general? I think it really depends on the um, the category and the segment, you know, and because it depends on the expectation of the customer. Because, you know, ultimately the customer will make a decision as to where the line is and I think for, for depending on who that person is, the line will be different. And the, by the example I give of that, I mean, I've, I've worked in publishing uh, across, you know, women's lifestyle, fashion, um, but also business, uh, property, news. You know, I, mean, I was the CEO of private media for some time. So, you know, I, I've, I've looked at, I've worked across these categories and there is less tolerance for grey in the business and news community. And there's far more acceptance in terms of, you know, branded content being content um, within the fashion and lifestyle community. And that's, that was always the case. So, you know, even before the internet, even before native content was a thing, I think, you know, with the, um, with the digital community. Um, yeah. In the magazine world 100 years ago, which is really when I began, so I'm very old. Um, so 100 years ago when magazines began, um, we were already creating content with our with our commercial partners that um, was more accessible, I guess, to our audience. And it was more like editorial than it was like ads. Um, yeah. And our audiences accepted that, you know, and, that, and in fact, not only accepted it, but actually loved it. And we could tell that they loved it because the, the uh, engagement rate was high, very, very high. So it, it really depends on the category. I think it's hard to make a blanket um, statement about um, you know where the line is because mm -hmm. yeah as I said it depends on the category um, it has to be quite clear I think when when it is and you know I tend to think it is when it's much more about uh, you know large risk factors that affect your life like finances and that, that kind of, I think the line has to be much clearer uh, when it's about entertainment and engagement and love and passion um, which yeah. is what fashion and lifestyle is I yeah. think as long as the as long as the quality of the content is well produced and the brands are well produced and they're brands that our consumers are happy to have you know come into their lives and and you know um, to be pushed content to, then I think I think it's it's comfortable for them for the for the line to be grey, and you know and, and again another example of that which you know a lot of a lot of men in particular find quite surprising, um, our magazines you know fashion magazines sell sell. Uh, much, much better when there are lots of ads in them. <laughs> so, you know, I know it, it seems really hard to comprehend when, when there's this kind of blocking technology um, on websites. But to be honest with you, it's the people who love ads and expect that to be part of the content are less likely to block and, and much more accepting of anything that um, feels a little bit greyer to, um, to other categories. 
Does that, is yeah. that's a long way of, you know, sorry. <laughs> no, we, and we are going to dive into this a little later in the show, along with your thoughts on the future of journalism. Speaking of journalism and your role as an advisory board member mm-hmm. at the Walkley Foundation, where is that, that particular organisation at? What, what's, the, uh, what's on the horizon in terms of the future for a peak body like that here in Australia? Oh, look, I think it becomes increasingly important, actually, when... Um, when there are so many different channels um, and so many different ways that a person can be can be called or considered to be a content creator. Um, yep. Because, you know, in the past that was really the, the domain of a journalist and a journalist went through training and had, you know, we, we had our 10 points of ethics and, you know, all, all those sorts yeah. of things. And so um, I think now anyone can be, um, you know, I, I guess what we would consider to be a journalist. You can be, you know, you create a blog and you, you're creating content about a subject, um, which was really what, you know, the, the domain of journalism. And I, I think that the role of the Walkleys um, and, and certainly, um, you know, the MEAA and organisations that support journalism yep. um, are to ensure that there are still some, you know, that, that, that ethics are protected. I think that's really important. Um, and that the craft is protected in some way. Yes. Um, but yep. also, but also, we need to progress and accept that there are many different versions of what constitutes a journalist now and try and work with people. I think it's important to bring these people within the tent, um, bring them into our organisation, make them feel like they're included rather than saying, well, we're the journalists and, you know, we're old style news, we've been through the training mm. and you're not. You know, I, I, I just think as organisations we have to open yeah. ourselves up to wrapping our arms around everybody. Um, and I think that'll be a challenge for organisations like ours because you do need to rethink then um, you know the definition. It's, it starts really at that point. What it, what is a journalist mm. now? And this is a lot of work that I'm keen to do with the Walkley Foundation, given that we actually la- launched Newsmoto as a traditional newsroom, as an extension for traditional newsrooms to tap into a global network of quote unquote journalists um, to create editorial style content. And of course, in the last three years, that's completely flipped on its head, and now we have so many brands looking to engage those same freelancers to create storytelling whether it be written visual design as you said right across all branded content all kinds of content so it's very hard to um to say to a journalist who's working as a freelancer that they shouldn't be creating that type of content just because it may not fit into a particular box of what we deem to be traditional journalism so i really appreciate your viewpoint on that and we will dive into it in just a moment but before we do i'd like to take a little break uh, for a section I call The Mad Minute here, Marina. So you can limber <laughs> okay. up there and get comfortable in the hot seat before I fire question one at you, which is, of course, among many other hats that you wear, obviously, you're also the chair of the West Tigers board. Now, what's the best thing about being involved in rugby? Oh, the best thing is really the, the role that the sport plays in the community. Um, yeah, look, it's 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 fantastic entertainment. Uh, families, you know, it's a family sport. Families love it. Um, it, it really provides opportunities for young men um, to, you know, elevate themselves. And but, but also, you know, those young guys do such great work in the community. And, um, and I, I just feel really proud to be part of it. That's a great answer. Question two, being an advocate for the Tigers, where's the best place to grab a coffee, you know, go to the bar or have a uh, feed in the west of Sydney? So we have our board meetings at West Ashfield's Leagues Club. Yep. And I can highly recommend it. It's got the best Chinese restaurant um, in the whole of the kind of inner west. Um, and they make great <laughs> coffee there as well. We don't really venture beyond, <laughs> beyond um, you know, our, our Leagues Club. But, um, but it's a great place. It really is. Now, question three, you've written a book 
Facebook and, of course, you're on many boards, as we know. What's the secret to juggling this and having life balance? Spending time with my boys is really where I get my balance and, and my energy. Uh, but I just really like to be involved in many different things because I learn so much from each of those things. It helps add value to everything else. Mm. Uh, but otherwise, um, I don't really wind down. Well, that's one way to be and it's working for you, so stick at it because it's obviously doing great things. Question four, one celebrity that you've met and really enjoyed the company of? Uh, I love Sandra Sully, right? <laughs> she's a journalist <laughs> and a celebrity journalist. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, she's, a, she's, a, you know, she's become a friend of mine and she's a great girl to hang out with. Question five, what's the one thing you can't live without? Unfortunately, it's probably my iPhone. <laughs> no, you wouldn't be the first to say it. Question six, you started out as a journo. What's the biggest change? Um, I think the biggest change is, is really um, technology, to be honest with you. I think, you know, I, when I started out, um, I was working in newspapers um, and didn't even imagine that, um, you know, that there, one day there would be this way to interact um, immediately with, <laughs> with people. So the immediacy, the responsiveness, I guess, of our audience, you know, you actually it used to be one way, you know, when I started out, mm. it was one way dialogue. And, and on that, what advice would you give for young journalists? Um, well, I think you need to work hard, you know, you need to work hard, you do need to actually focus on, um, you know, being, uh, delivering on the craft. And question nine, your top tip for public speaking? Um, absolutely make sure that what you're delivering is personal and you really believe in it. And finally, what inspires you? You know, my children make me want to succeed because I want them to be really proud of me. And, uh, and you know, my sons are now young adults mm. and they both posted on Facebook, you know, telling their friends to go and buy my book because, you know, they, they said that I was amazing, which is, you know, something really wonderful for a mother to hear. So my children make me want to succeed. I want to be really a really good role model for them. Uh, yeah, but I also have a personal, you know, personal desire to be successful and to achieve I just really enjoy it and that is a beautiful way to finish off what was a very extended version of the mad minute <laughs> now let's get into the serious stuff Marina because we do have a very important topic to talk about and that's the future of journalism does it have a future and if so where does it lie um, yeah look it does have a future but I, th I think the issue is again around the definition of, of journalism and you know or how what we classify we have to make sure that we're um, we're able to understand that you know journalism is really you know the word you used earlier storytelling is absolutely the right word uh, we're storytellers we've always been storytellers and I feel that we need to almost re rethink our view around that so um, uh, look I, I imagine that um, as with with further technolo technological advances I'm getting tongue-tied mm. today um, that we will um, you know we'll obviously see many many things that we're not even imagining right now I mean you know snapchat who would have thought before um, yeah. that that was a way of telling stories so um, you know I, I find I've been involved in the digital world for you know eight years which is not a long time but then but then again the digital world's very new too and um, and I I'm still trying to get my head around snapchat you know do you know what I mean like I just and and even the concept of is that is are we really telling stories with pictures is that is that journalism you know I mean mm. I, I even ask myself that question and then I have to think okay it is journalism of course it is because it, it's just a way of, t of communicating um, news or, or or an idea and that is what journalism that's what it is that's 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 what it mm. has been so I think we're going to find that we're going to go more down the route of telling um, stories as journalists that are far more pictorial and I think that is that is from a consumer need um, you yeah. know as we've seen video drives our views on our uh, on our website now far more than an article will um, 
and, and I, we just have to respond to that and, and continue to create content that is innovative around that kind of mechanism. So I think that's where journalism's heading. Um, I don't know. I wish I was. A, I wish I was a fortune teller. Doesn't bode well for those <laughs> journalists out there who have done years and years of study, though, does it? Well, no. Look, I, I think it does because I think you need to be really clever to be able to think visually. I mean, what it what it does is it means that you have to start thinking visually. I think that's probably the difference, um, which for you know kind of older print journalists is really difficult. But to be honest with you, almost you know, if you were to do um, a, a test with a lot of the millennials coming through around their learning style you'll probably find the majority of visual learners now instead of text-based learners or audio learners. And I found that with my two sons. So they, you know, their school did um, some kind of testing with them when they were, I think they were about 12 years old. And they said, you know, they m made sure that I understood that they were visual learners, um, mm. which really surprised me. But actually they just said, well, that's the majority now. So I think that's, that's just the way, yeah, that's how they consume content. So we have to... You know, like with anything, you, you have to look at your audience and you have to make sure you deliver to your audience. I mean, that part of it hasn't changed. It's just the audience has changed. The audience's needs have changed. The way they think, the way they consume content has changed. And we are in a, you know, we're in a world where we have to give them what they want because they're in the driver's seat. I mean, that part, that part flipped many years ago. They're in the driver's mm. seat. They're demanding that we create content you know, to suit their needs, and uh, and we have no choice. So, it might be it might be difficult, you know, for some people to accept. But it, what it means, though, is that universities that are bringing journalism journalism students through have to take this into consideration too. So that when those journalists come out, they're not just traditionally um, taught how to write a news article um, or how to, to produce, you know, a very kind of um, traditional um, TV bulletin. I think, uh, then, you know, we're going to have to be much more creative than that. Uh, and I do think it starts with education. It absolutely does. And speaking of education, when it comes to educating audiences around sponsored content, do you think that native articles need to be branded as such so that audiences know that they're actually being paid for by a, a company sponsoring that article? Yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, we, we tend to... Um, make sure that we put, you know, brought to you by or there's some kind of tag that is that, mm -hmm. you know, says who the um, client is. Um, yeah, no, uh, look, yes, absolutely, I think so. Um, and it's one of the, it's, it is one of the areas that if you are not, um, you know, if you're a blogger and, you, and you've not been through the system, I guess, in terms of training, um, in terms of our rules of ethics, that kind of thing, yeah. then you may not know that that's what you have to do. And, and, and so very often um, when bloggers are called out for not doing it, I, very, I often feel um, sorry for them actually that they're being chastised via social media for not doing something that they didn't know that they needed to do or that they didn't know that they right. should do. It's also one of the reasons why I think um, you know, the kind of regulatory bodies need to wrap our arms around these people and bring them in and educate them because uh, it's the only way that as an industry will will remain, um, you know, more ethically sound, I guess, than we might otherwise because it's a slippery slope. It is a slippery slope and particularly in some fields of journalism, um, you know, the hard-nosed editorial is very separate to the, as you pointed out, the fashion and the lifestyle and so on, the travel. Um, but there would be journalists within um, the structure of many publishers who would just refuse, and rightly so, to be producing sponsored content. Do you have a position on asking internal journalists within organisations to do both? Yeah, yeah. Look, we, we do do that. 
um, you know, so I'll put my hand up and be honest about it. We, we definitely do do that yep. within our organisation. And part of it is that, um, um, you know, part of the, I guess part of the attraction for the, for the client uh, to work with us is that we understand our audience best. You know, the people who yep. are creating editorial content, there's no one else who understands the right content for that audience more than they do. So we do, but um, we, you know, we have a relation. We obviously don't make them do it as part of their day job. So um, we do pay our um, our internal people if they create commercial content. Um, mm-hmm. And look, it may not be at the same level that we that an advertising agency would pay people. Um, absolutely, I'm sure it isn't. But we we certainly don't expect them to do this as well as their their day job. Um, and look, over over time, some of that some of that might change. I'm not I'm not really sure where it's heading, but um, it's hard, isn't it? I mean, it's a really difficult conversation because. Um, well, it's yeah. it's a conversation that is ongoing, and and as you pointed out, um, nobody really knows exactly where it is going. And every we work at Newsmoto with dozens of of publishers, and every single one of them has a different rule for engagement, and every single one of them has a different position, yeah. typically on where they stand. If they stand on straddling the fence, and as you mentioned, encouraging internal writers to create sponsored content as well as editorial, or if they draw a line in the sand and engage platforms like Newsmoto to then keep it very separate and engage um, freelancers to create that content. And as you say, there's no right or wrong answer. It's just a very interesting time for journalism as a whole. As we start to wind down, let's talk about tomorrow just briefly for our listeners out there. And as I I mentioned, we will have a special deal for freelancers who would like to still attend. There are some some tickets available for tomorrow's Storyology event. Tell us about the Walkley's involvement in this and the importance of freelancing for the foundation and the industry. Uh, it's a really important event for us. I mean, it's it's one of the ways that we are able to um, almost educate, I guess, the uh, you know the our market, the, you know, our journalists, um, in terms of the innovation, I guess, that's happening in the world, best practice, that kind of thing. And so, bringing in um, thought leaders and um, you know best practice practitioners in the world of journalism and media um, is—it's a really—I'm really proud of the fact that we're able to do this um, because it, it also creates a conversation about um, what what excellence looks like in terms of journalism. You know, some of the issues that you and I have discussed today are able to be debated um, in front of um, an audience of people who otherwise may not have understood um, how, how important some of these issues are. Um, you know, I'm, I'm facilitating um, a discussion on diversity in media, which I'm really looking forward to because diversity is one of my um, passion points. And um, But, you know, some people don't think about it. They might complain about it. They might, you know, notice it every now and then, particularly if the head hits the ceiling, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, but it's also about representation, you know. Are there, are there enough uh, gender and um, cultural diversity? Is there enough... Um, represented in the media, that kind of thing. Uh, I think there are issues that we all need to care about, but it's easy to overlook these issues when there are so many other, you know, day-to-day things that affect me personally, you know, as as people, as we we all look to ourselves first. So I I like it because it generates um, thought leadership. And that wraps up another episode of Brand Storytelling. Please do share, tweet or email us your thoughts on the show. And of course, if you haven't already, do subscribe to us on iTunes where you can also leave a rating and review. And if you do leave a review, send us a tweet and let us know. We would absolutely love to hear from you. So until next time, keep story hunting and we'll have another great guest for you next week. Thank you.